chapter 5. Proverbs 5, beginning in verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion. And your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. And her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan. When your your flesh and body are consumed and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquity, iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Tonight, the mentor of the son in Proverbs wants to talk to us about a very important title or topic in our days. It was in theirs. And that, what I've titled, sexual wisdom. The chapter begins in the first verse with wisdom, and it ends in the very last word in folly. And what you'll find between those bracketed opposite, opposite phrases are what it means to have wisdom and folly when it comes to sexuality. It is not far-fetched. In fact, it may even be an understatement when I say that we live in a culture of sexual fools. Romans says as much. In Romans 1.22, Paul says, speaking of unsaved people in the Roman culture, claiming to be wise, they have become fools. And then it goes on in the preceding verses to talk about all kinds of sexual deviance, heterosexual uh, sin, homosexual sin, and all kinds of other sexual sins inside and outside of marriage. And our society has succumbed to believing almost every lie of lust that's out there. And now we are reaping the, or the consequences in the relational, physical, and spiritual realms of all that we have decided to believe. Recently, as I watched the Australian Open, I'm kind of a tennis fan, John McEnroe and Martina Navratilova protested the Australian Open by carrying a sign around saying that the main stadium should be renamed. It was named after Margaret Court, who has won more Grand Slam tennis matches and tournaments than anyone in history. They want it changed because she has strongly 
uh, been outspoken against the LGBTQ, um, I should say, the, LG, the whole platform of everything that they stand for. She has spoken out against it. Therefore, because she doesn't tolerate that, they think it should be renamed. And so in our culture, if you hold a view contrary to those things, um, you're considered someone that's not worthy uh, to be honored in any way publicly. You know as well as I do probably by now that California, now plus New Jersey, has accepted that our schools should have an LGBTQ curriculum that will be mandatory without a parent's choice of whether their children should take it or not. And we could go on and on down the list. Um, sexual fools includes AIDS as a result, abortion as a convenience, adultery on a widespread rampant basis, living together has become the norm instead of marriage, sexual violence, pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. I don't know if you remember years ago, an NFL quarterback, Steve McNair, was found dead in his apartment because the woman he was having an affair on behind his wife's back had shot him to death. It's not uncommon that there's all kinds of consequences, even the most severe kind, because of sexual foolishness. So Proverbs 5 engages us in that conversation and wants to talk to us about how we can keep from going down the same road that the world does. And I can't think of a topic that's more necessary, even inside the church, and it's for men and women alike, and especially if you have children who are growing up as parents, you can't find a, probably a more relevant and important topic than this one. There's a choice to be made, actually two, they're very similar, but one must be made before the other if the second one is to turn out. And this chapter is about choosing between two women. And the first few verses line out the first choice. And the first choice is, which woman will you love? And it's not what you think. It's woman wisdom versus woman wickedness. And what he tries to get his son to do is listen to him as his dad, as his father, as his disciple maker, as his mentor. He says, I want you to listen to me because the first choice you have to make if you're going to have any hope of having sexual wisdom is that you have to make this choice that you're going to choose woman wisdom over woman wickedness. And so he outlines that in the first, he says, listen to me, understanding, keep discretion, guard knowledge. He says, you need woman wisdom in your life. We, we talked about the difference between woman wisdom and woman wickedness. It's outlined for you very specifically in Proverbs chapter 9. Secondly, the second choice you make between two women is between the forbidden woman, who is the adulteress, and the faithful woman, who is the wife of your youth. He says, now that's the one that everybody makes because, or we think of, because that's the real life situation. But he wants you to know. That the reason why one-third of people who get married will eventually have an adulterous, sinful relationship with someone outside of their marriage is because they've already made a previous choice way before that one. And they have chosen not to follow woman wisdom. Your kids do that. The reason why your kids will watch things on the internet and you might watch things on the internet and why your kids will get maybe into trouble and there could be a problem, a very serious sin problem as far as their sexuality way before they even graduate high school. The reason is they've already made a different choice because they've chosen to reject woman wisdom and to instead choose woman wickedness. 
It's a choice that we all are confronted with basically every day. And I wouldn't be exaggerating to say perhaps multiple times a day. And we have to come to the realization in our lives personally and with our children that that is a choice that we have to be intentionally serious about every single day. And you're going to find in this text that I'm going to think as I read it and go through it with you that you're not taking it as serious as you might need to be. Let me tell you what happens and why we don't do that, if I can start out that way. He says, For the lips of a forbidden woman, verse 3, drip honey, and her speech is smoother than... He's going to make three contrasts, okay? If you can put them together, one is, seems like honey, but it's really bitter. It starts out being smooth, and then he says, but it's really sharp as a two-edged sword. So it looks smooth and nice, but it's really going to cut you up. And he says, it sounds like the path, she might lead you to life, but the reality is death. And those are the, in the next few verses, those are the contrasts. Honey, bitter, smooth, sharp. He says, life, death. See, and here's the thing. Fools everybody. It looks good up front. It starts out being something really, really looks good, feels good, the experience is good. But see, here's what we all forget, most of our children... Right? Verse 4, can you circle it? But in the end, see it? In the end. Verse 11 repeats it from a different, flip the coin over, and it, and it says, and at the end of your life. See, if you don't see the end of where she's taking you, you'll see it, but too late, because you'll see it at the end of your life. See, those two ends go together. If you don't see this end, this will be your end, is the idea of it. It's that serious. And the problem is, is that our, our lives in America have been cultivated to buy into immediate gratification. We can only see what's in front of our face. We want what we want now, and we have immediate gratification, and we don't see the consequences of choices. So we do something wrong, choose the wrong woman on all levels, and nothing bad happens immediately. And a week passes, a month passes, a year passes, and we think that everything's okay because nothing really bad has happened. But we don't see that down the road, a little further, the whole thing is going to derail. It is. And that's one of the deceptiveness of sexual foolishness. Is up front, it's all of those things. But the reality is, the end will rip your life apart. He goes on to say this, it's not life that her feet go down that path, but what does he talk about it as? Look what it says, her feet go down to death, verse 5, her steps follow the path to Sheol, Sheol is the place of the dead. In other words, let me shock you, following this woman is like embracing a serial killer. Because you read Proverbs 7 and other places in Proverbs, it says many are the men whose life have been ruined. Many. We could all sit here tonight, couldn't we? In the White House, in the pulpit, famous people on TV, preachers, whose life have been basically torn apart. Some have even killed themselves over it about sexual foolishness and the lack of wisdom thereof. That's what it tastes like. So you have to ask yourself, 
and teach your teenagers how a girl, a woman, talks and looks like matters. On the screen, it should say two types of seduction. Let me start back. Two types. There's horizontal sexual wisdom, okay? That's between you and other people. And then there's going to be a vertical sexual wisdom at the end of our text. And I'm going to cover both of them tonight in pretty much detail. First thing you need to be aware of is verbal seduction and visible seduction. Look what it says. Her lips, what she says, they drip with honey. Her speech is smooth. In other words, they're going to say things that are enticing, things that are going to make you feel comfortable, at ease. That's not just true in commercials. That's not just true on the internet, although it is. It's also true in real life. It's the words, the promises. They all look good, feel good, sound good. What Proverbs 5 doesn't say, but chapter 7 does say, if you want to turn over real quickly in verses 24 and 25. Now, I'm sorry, yeah, now sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let your, not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim, serial killer, she has laid low. And all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, that members go down to death. But the Bible says, verse 21, much seductive speech, smooth talk. He follows her like someone going to slaughter. Back up a little further and you'll find out this. They says, don't be desiring her beauty. So here's the problem, and, and I'm, I'm going to build an argument, so stay with me. It's the things that sexual foolishness says that there'll never be a problem. You're not going to have anything go wrong. Everything's going to be fine. The worst case scenario will never take place. All those things are going to be told to you personally or over the internet or on TV or watching a movie. They even made heroes, those kinds of people. And visibly, the visual part of it, this beauty, looks. And can I tell you this? I've trained my sons growing up that you can tell a lot about a girl by the way she talks and the way she walks and what she wears. There's a way that girls dress that makes you, they want you to look at them. There's no two ways about it. My sons will know this. I would tell them, run, run. Because modesty is something that you have on the inside and on the outside. So here's what the Bible says. Beware because there's verbal seduction and visible seduction. So knowing all that we've said so far, what do you do about it? Well, here's the plan I think Proverbs gives us that I would like to, this is what I've used in my life over the years and I try to teach others. Three, I call it the 3D wisdom. And they're in your text. First one is discretion. Second one is distance. And the third one is delight. Let me show them to you one at a time. He says, verse 2, that you may keep discretion and your lips, you may guard your lips. And so here's what he says. You have to have wisdom. That's the first one. Making the choice of listening to someone who's trying to tell you how to keep yourself from ruining your life. Okay, we've covered that one. Secondly, what I want to explain a little more is distance. And I cannot tell you, as much as your kids won't like it, and it's not popular, and it will take a lot of work. All those I'm telling you up front. This is so crucial, is distance. 
Do you remember the story of Joseph in the Bible in Genesis 39, where he was a slave? It says, now it says some things about Joseph was well built. In other words, he was a muscular guy. He was handsome. The Bible makes these remarks about him in Hebrew. Potiphar's wife likes him more than she should. Tries to have a sexual relationship with him. Interesting, incredibly enlightening what he does in response. The Bible says she spoke to Joseph day after day, Genesis 39, 10. He would not listen to her. Hear that? What do we say? Verbal seduction. So he basically, I'm not listening to you. I want nothing. To you, I don't want to hear whatever you have to say. I don't want to hear it. Right? And it says, and he said, I will not be with her. So I don't want to hear you and I don't want to see you. That is radical. In other words, you're my master's wife. And perhaps things could happen to me if you got me in trouble if I didn't treat you right. I mean, he could have all this going through his mind. I'm already in Egypt. I'm already a slave. I don't want to make anything worse. But that's not him. You know why? Because he's made a choice already. He chose Woman wisdom way before he became a slave. Way before. And by the way, interesting parallel. Read Genesis 39 right next to Genesis 38 because they're side by side for a reason. Because Judah, who is his oldest, one of his oldest brothers, far older than him, goes down the street and has a sexual relationship with a heart on the side of the road, which is really his daughter-in-law because he wouldn't give her his third son after the first two died, which was the Levite law. You had to provide a son for your daughter-in-law you couldn't leave her abandoned as a widow he refused to do it but he shows as the older guy with the tribe that jesus would come from the chapter four here's how immoral and ungodly he is here's way way younger joseph not in a search situation like judah where everything is good he's in egypt foreign land without his family a young person a teenager and here is judah doing wrong and joseph doing right the whole idea is it's not based on how old you are, how wise you are, how smart you are, or where you are, your circumstances. It's not all about that. It's all about the first choice. It's all about those choices in your heart. And so you know what the Bible says? He wouldn't be with her. He distanced himself. And then when one day when he caught, she catches him off guard and grabs him, you know what the words are? He fled and ran. Why? Because he knows distance is his friend. Distance is his friend. And in the text in Proverbs, if you go back to verse 8, it says this, keep your way, listen to, the, listen to the words, far from her. Far from her. And now I'm going to say it the other way. And do not go near. So don't, go, don't be near, but go far. Do you get the idea? We think too often, tell me if this isn't you, we think that we can get close, but we won't get too close. That we can ride the line. That, we, that basically, we tell ourselves, maybe not out loud, I can handle that. Can I, I would like to tell you some things that you can't handle. Ready? You cannot handle watching R-rated movies ever. You can't handle it. I would say to you, Probably a lot of PG-13 ones, too. Here's another one. You cannot handle a lot of the books that are out there today, even if they're written for teenagers. 
romance novels, any of the, let me tell you this, you can't handle it and you shouldn't handle it. It is sexual foolishness. Can I tell you this? You cannot handle ever, ever being on the internet by yourself anywhere. Ever. You can't watch TV or have any type of movie channels that have anything explicit on it and be at home by yourself. You probably shouldn't have them, period, anyways. My own practice, personally, um, I will find out what I'm going to watch, and I will punch in the number and go to the exact channel. I don't go click, 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 click through all the channels. Because I'm not watching anything I don't want to watch. So if I'm watching the Australian Open, I'm going 570 and going right to it. I'm not clicking to see what entertainment tonight might be up there and all the other trash that might be out there. I'm not doing that. You know why? I've already came to the conclusion I'm not going to try to handle it. Can I tell you this? Don't let your teenagers fool you. They cannot handle, cannot handle dating lost people. Cannot. They, should, they cannot handle dating someone of the opposite sex by themselves. All the time? No way. They can't handle it. You cannot handle going out to lunch with a co-worker of the opposite sex. Don't ever do it. Don't ever do it. See, there's no protection on your internet or your kid's phone. You're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. You know why? Move far away. Far away. Don't be near it. Don't believe for a second that you or your kids can handle it. Here's what he says. Why? Why is he so strong about far away? Why? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 and 10 begin with the same warning word. See it? Lest and lest. See, here, if you think you can handle it, this is what's going to happen. Lest you give your honors to others and your years to the merciless. See, here's what he's going to tell you. He's going to say there are social, relational consequences. Your honor, you will lose your reputation. People will think things of you that are awful because they're true. And you're going to give your years. You're not going to recover from that. You're not. You're not going to recover from it. Your strength and your labors you're going to give to a foreigner. Somebody you've never met, they're going to take over your stuff. Economically, it's going to hurt you bad because it'll ruin you. Your life and your flesh, he says. See, in verse 11, so there's social consequences, economic consequences. There's physical consequences of it, he says. And then he's going to tell you the, the conversation you're going to have with yourself before you ever have it. You know what that's called? Regret. He's going to tell you ahead of time. And let me tell you, when you're talking to your teenagers, tell them not only these things, what they shouldn't do, but what's going to happen if they do them. Here's what you're going to say someday, and you're going to wish you had listened. He says, verse 12, at the end of your life, you're grown, your flesh and body are consumed, and you say... Here's what you're going to, oh, I hated discipline. I didn't want to listen to that. 
I didn't want someone telling me, I don't want you limiting my freedom. I don't want you telling me when I could be on my phone and I can't have it in my room. And you said, oh, I, I, you're going to wish I, you had followed my advice about not using your phone that way and being on there and watching that stuff when no one's around. See, he's going to say, you're going to say to yourself, I wish I had discipline. My, I wish I had more restraint and self-control. And notice where, and my heart despised reproof. It's always from the inside out, isn't it? The heart. You didn't want to listen to your parents. You didn't want to listen to someone who tried to save your life from it. And I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to their, my instructors. I wrote on my notes, you can't get an F in wisdom and get an A in purity. You can't. You don't listen to your teachers. You can't get an F. You can't get an F in wisdom and an A in purity. It doesn't work. And notice his attitude toward wisdom and its sources. Not Watch. Not just God, but his instructors and his teachers. So can I tell you this? Tip for you as parents. You're telling your kids what they can and can't do and when they can and when they can't have a phone and a TV and watch this stuff. Watch what their attitude is because my experience is their attitude will tell you probably they've already done the things you're prohibiting. Because this guy's heart despised it. They didn't want to listen. They complained. They griped. They got argumentative. They got rude. Worse. You know why? Because they've already started it and you're trying to stop it. That's the problem. And he says, here's the only thing that may turn you around, but it might be too late. He says, I'm at the brink of utter ruin. The brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Listen, publicly and privately, it's all going to go downhill. I'm at the brink of utter ruin. Have you ever met someone there? Well, their whole life's about to fall apart, and they did it for just a few moments of pleasure. But can I tell you this? Listen, that's the negative part. And can I tell you, we have to be so careful, because in our churches, we think that if we just assign laws to our kids and to ourselves, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and command them and tell them how bad it's going to be, and if you do this, you're going to wipe out your life, that's part of it, and that is wisdom, and there is Definitely needed, but that's half of the equation, right? Holiness has a plus sign and a negative sign. Greek mythology tells the story of two captains of two ships. One guy's name was Odysseus, and Odysseus knew that if you went by the island of the sirens, they would sing their beautiful song, and that you would get so captivated by it that you would steer your ship over to where they were, not even realizing because you were so captivated by them that the rocks were there and your ship would crash. And horribly enough in the Greek mythology, you would wreck on the shore, they would get you out of the water, and then they would eat you. Okay, not a great woman to be with, right? But once you heard the songs, it didn't matter what the end was because you were mesmerized. So he wanted to go by and hear this. So here's what his idea was. He told all the guys on his ship, put wax in your ears so you can't hear. Don't put any in mine, but tie me to the mast. And so he did that. So they go by the island, sirens start singing, and he told them, whatever I say to you, don't let me out. And they didn't. He tried to get out as much as he could, but he was so tied, he couldn't. 
Now, they didn't hear a thing. They got past the iron island far enough that she, they didn't hear the women anymore, and he was fine. But the way that he survived was just tying himself up, right? Years later, in Greek mythology, another guy comes, second captain, Jason and the Argonauts. He tells them, we don't need any ropes, and we don't need any wax in our ears. You know what he did? He hired a man by the name of Orpheus. Orpheus was the greatest musician in the world. And he told all the guys, sit on deck, I'm going to sit in a chair in the middle, and you don't have to do anything because the sirens won't touch you. And they were all petrified. They do that, and when they got very close enough to be able to see the island but not hear the sirens singing, he said, Orpheus, strike up a song. And he started playing such an unbelievably beautiful melody that they were captivated by the music that they heard. And before they know it, they were all the way past the island and couldn't see anymore before they looked up and realized he had stopped playing. What's the difference? One said, just tie me down. The other one says, no, I want a superior song. I want to be captivated by something far better. Can I tell you this? There are people who are lost, who are sexually wiser than God's people sometimes. Why? They have not been captivated by a superior song. No, they haven't. But they have mastered restraining themselves for ulterior reasons. But you know, as Christians, we're supposed to find a greater satisfaction, a greater pleasure in what is far superior, vertically in God, and if you're married, secondarily in your spouse. And so the third D, discretion, distance, delight, look at verse 15. And all the metaphor here in these four or five verses is all about drinking. Drink water from your own well or cistern holds water. Now remember, read this as if you're in a desert climate, and if you don't have water, you will die. This is how powerful and crucial water is. Flowing Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? I mean, should you be sharing this water with everybody? No. Let them be for yourself alone, not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Okay? Now, notice, notice this. In verse, the end of verse 19 and the beginning of verse 20, use the word intoxicated. Okay? Here's the proverb. Here's wisdom. Here's what it says. When it comes to sexual wisdom, you will be intoxicated with someone. You will be. You will be drunk and filled, as he says, filled with the pleasure of someone. And you have to make a choice. Because the word intoxicated is used both for your wife and for the forbidden woman. And he's trying to say, here's the answer. Say no to the forbidden woman and yes to your wife. Can I tell you this? Please listen. Tell your kids no to those movies. No to what's on the internet. No to lost boyfriends and girlfriends. Tell them no to all of those things. And tell yourself, preach yourself those things. But at the same time, you must say, I will say yes to God. Yes to his word. Yes to his wisdom. Yes to the superior pleasure that can only be found in him. Don't turn there, but in Hebrews 11, Moses is said that he turned his back on the riches of Egypt 
even though there was pleasure in those sins. But you know what the King James says? The pleasure was only for a season, temporal, short-lived. So how could he turn his back on palace life, Egyptian treasures, and it says, you know what the alternate choice was? To suffer persecution with the people of God in the wilderness. Now, you put those two side by side, and the average person goes, not hard. Palace, wilderness. Pleasure, suffering. Not a hard thing to figure out. Moses chose, chose the one nobody else chose. How did he do it? Ready? He didn't just say no to Egypt. He said yes to God. The verse says this, esteeming the treasures of Christ greater riches than that in Egypt. Greater. Do you see that? Riches, Egypt's got this. God's got this. Even though all of this comes with the God package, the suffering, the wilderness, no palace, it's way better. Is that what your kids think by watching your life? Have they learned that there's something far better than spending your time watching TV or all those kinds of movies or draw, you know, walking on the line of close to what is immoral? Do they think, oh yeah, they look at your life and say, there's something so much better. My parents serve at the church and they love God and they're thinking about others and they're in the word and I see them pray. You know, my parents have shown me that there's something superior. There's a pleasure and a treasure that this world can't offer. Here's what he says, delight in it, he says. Drink from it. That's how you do it. You want to never have another woman in your life, men? Go home and love your life, wife like no one ever has. Right? It's not just saying no to other women. It's loving your wife and being intoxicated with her. So if your wife's not here, you can go home and tell her, my wife's on vac- in California, I'm going to tell her, she'll think I'm a crazy person. Chris, I want you to know I'm drunk with you. She'll go, what in the world's happened to you while I was gone? <laughs> right? Be intoxicated with her. Think about her. Talk about her. Be with her. Buy her stuff. And on and on it goes. But we're not done. Last one. Vertical sexual wisdom. All that's on the horizontal level, but he doesn't leave us there. He, he says in verse 21, don't forget this, by the way, and see the little connector word at the beginning, for, for a man's ways are before, before the eyes of the Lord. That phrase is used in Proverbs 15, 3, too, and here's what it says. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. Can I tell you this? Your parents may not see what you look at. Your wife may not see what you're watching. Your husband may not see what you're reading. But I can guarantee this, God does. God does. He's, and, and, and by the way, aren't you glad he doesn't just see the evil? He sees the good. Do you know that you are glorifying him when you could watch this and you don't? When you find your pleasure in him more than any of those things, and your kids make choices when all their friends want to go here and do this and have that, and they don't, God sees that too, amen? He sees all of that. And it says in verse 21, and he ponders. The word means to weigh. To weigh in the balance. 
He weighs out your life to see what you really are. And sexual wisdom or foolishness is one of the key ways that he understands what you're really all about, you and I. We live in a culture of sexual fools because we live in a culture that has deleted God. They've deleted him. See, Psalm 14 says, the fool has said in his heart, no God. That's why our culture has all the things going wrong and they're so sexually foolish. But you and I, we have said, yes, God. Not making us better, but tapping into the source of wisdom. And may the grace of God allow us to have that wisdom in part great discretion and distance and delight into our sexual lives before God's eyes. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us when we are surrounded by a culture of sexual fools. As your people, we've been given wisdom because 1 Corinthians 1 says Jesus is the wisdom of God. Father, I pray that we would draw upon him and his wisdom every day and teach ourselves and our children how to be sexually wise, that you might get all the glory and honor, and that your infinite value may be demonstrated by all of our choices. May they not be just good ones, but God ones. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.